All right, turn your Bibles, if you would, to First uh, Timothy chapter 6. Just putting a plug in while everyone's turning uh, into their, through their Bibles. Um, just a couple weeks left for the, the book and CD sale. And again, you're not going to be able to find these CDs at, at a very good price of five euros each. Uh, now's a good time to get some really good Christian music um, back there. And um, tell you what, at, uh, we had our um, college and career Christmas party. And, um, and we had a gift exchange. And, and uh, the person's gift that I picked was two CDs. And uh, I tell you what, uh, Jennifer and I, we've been really enjoying um, the, the quiet moments with um, the piano just with, uh, that's back there with, by Carrie Schmidt. And uh, we've really been enjoying that. And, um, and so uh, now's the time to get some good music. And it's music that you can trust, music that you can play anytime around. And so I really, really encourage you um, to stop by the table there and get, and get some, some good Christian music. And again, put it in the money in an envelope um, so that way we can put it towards more Christian music and, and some good books. And uh, so while you guys are there in First Timothy chapter six, um, I really wanted to um, I really wanted to preach a Christmas message, but uh, all week long, um, Lord kept on putting First Timothy six ten in my heart, and um, don't know why, I have no idea why, but um, and so this evening we're going to be looking at this uh, this portion of scripture from verses six through twelve. Uh, before we get there, before we read our scripture tonight, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the Christmas season is a time of year where our gift giving is done the most. I mean, yes, I know we usually have like on birthday parties and different things throughout the year. Maybe we would give a gift or two, but for the majority, a lot of our uh, resources are are spent around Christmas time. And uh, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, it should be probably one. It should be. That should be probably, it should be one of the joyous occasions for a Christian. Um, because it is, as I said this morning, it's, it is the birth of our Savior. Um, when God came down uh, and became man, um, so that he would uh, go to the cross, uh, and that he would die on the cross for you and for me. Um, so for him even to come uh, is something to be celebrated. Um, but that's not where it's, it, it ends. It doesn't end with the baby in the manger. That's just the beginning. And, um, and as we celebrate uh, the birth of Christ, um, we also need to keep in our minds just how thankful we are that He did go to the cross for you and I. That, that He did, uh, was obedient to His Father, and, and that He suffered and He endured the cross. He despised the shame for you and for me. And, uh, and so we, we need to remember that as we uh, get caught up in the, uh, the Christmas festivities. Um, you know, as we look around at the beautiful Christmas lights and the decorations, uh, i tell you what, it's probably one of my favorite things growing up was the Christmas lights. Uh, back home, my mom, she would, I mean, she would outline the house entirely. And I mean, you know, all the trees had Christmas lights. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't even want to know what their electricity bill was for the month of December. I have no idea. And uh, but that was that was a yearly event. You know, my mom would, uh, after Thanksgiving was done with, she would go out there and she would decorate the house with all these Christmas lights. And and um, and then as a family, 
a lot of times we would go around and, and see other Christmas lights, see how people had decorated their homes. And that was, that was a, um, a Christmas uh, tradition, I guess you could say. And so um, as, as I go around here and I see the Christmas lights that people are starting to put up now, and, and uh, I don't know, I just I like to see them. It just, it just kind of uh, brings back those memories of, of good times with, with my family and things like that. Uh, but as we see all these Christmas lights and the decorations, <clears throat> as we get to experience the delicious food, I notice here in Ireland that there's only certain foods that are out during Christmas time. You got all the the um, uh, the meat pies and the Christmas pies and all those all the sweets and desserts and and uh, all the different things that they have just around Christmas time. So there's a lot of delicious food that's that's uh, served here. And the brightly wrapped presents, and of course the fellowship with friends and family, and uh, really Christmas can can seem almost magical. We live in a culture in a world that puts a lot of pressure upon people to spend their money and to buy things. Advertisements are thrown in our face every single day, multiple times a day. I mean, you listen to the radio. There's always advertisements. Uh, you know, if you watch. Uh, TV and you're you're watching your shows or whatever, watching sports, whatever, and and all the advertisement come in. You know they buy this, buy that. All the children's you know uh, uh, TV shows. You know they've got toys coming on, and and so our kids grow up uh, wanting, wanting things, you know, and 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 uh, not being content with what they have. And um, it was it's actually kind of funny. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, I was I was on Facebook. And um, and I was just kind of scrolling around, you know, and I saw an advertisement for uh, something that I was maybe of getting for Jennifer for Christmas, and so I clicked on it just because I, I wanted to see how much the the price was on it, and uh, so it brought me to you know the website and the price, and I'm like, oh okay, guess how many times I have seen that ad uh, since that day? Every single day, because they knew. I was interested in it, and so now, even the, since I didn't, I, I didn't buy it then, but now every single time I'm I'm on there, it's popping it up. It's popping it up. You know, getting working on my heart to to buy this thing because the more that you see it, the more you're gonna think about, hmm, maybe I should buy that thing. And uh, they know what they're doing. the The marketing industry knows how to get you to spend your money, and uh, and so. Um, with Christmas season around, especially, there's a lot of pressure and pulling to to buy, to buy what they have to offer. Uh, businesses care only about one thing: profit. Uh, to them, you're nothing but a consumer. And how? But how do people become that way? And uh, that's what I want to focus on this evening. It's because they're following the world's mentality. Tonight I want to preach a message entitled, Beware the Root of All Evil. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 6. It says here, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. <clears throat> and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall in temptation, into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, 
they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Uh, and this, this, and uh, actually, sorry, verse number 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Um, so this, morning, this evening, I want to focus on this uh, root of all evil. Um, what is it, actually? It is the love of money. Now, some, some Bibles say money is the root of all evil. But that's not what God says. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. That is the big, that's a big difference. Because it's not wrong to be prosperous. It's not wrong to work hard. But when it becomes your sole purpose in life in attaining money, in attaining wealth, um, that's when it becomes very dangerous. And it could end up costing you everything that you hold precious. Paul here is warning Timothy about the love of money and the journey it brought other believers to, which was falling away from the relationship with God and caused them many sorrows. Uh, let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer and then we'll dive into the rest of the message. Father, we thank you so much again just for your love and thank you, Lord, for this, this warning that you give us as believers. Um, so easy to get wrapped up in this world and trying to, uh, to compete and trying to, um, Lord, just to, to have everything that, uh, that we want to have. And Lord, the material goods isn't exactly uh, what we need in this world. We need you. We need our relationship with you to be great. Father, I pray that you would just bless this message tonight. God, I pray that you'd be with my voice. Lord, thank you for giving the strength this morning. I pray that you'd be with it tonight. And Lord, I do pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight, Lord, that we would take this warning, God, as we um, just try to, to, to grow closer to you, Lord. Uh, money is a necessity of life. Uh, we can't live without it. It's something that we have to, um, to use. And uh, Lord, just help us, Lord, to, to have the right perspective, to have the right uh, view and, and goal for, for our lives, Lord. And Father, I do thank you so much again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, the first thing I wanted to look at tonight is that uh, just the, how the, the root of all evil, the love of money is. Uh, first of all, the love of money destroys families. Money brings out the worst in people. Sadly, even our closest loved ones. Uh, finances is, is one of the leading causes for divorce today and one of the leading argument creators between married couples. I was doing some research and uh, I was looking at a, a website here and it said here, <clears throat> excuse me, this was actually a divorce website and it says, uh, one of the things that they said in their, their article, it said, many couples lack the communication skills necessary to navigate financial disagreements in their marriage. Uh, the emotional connection of money with safety and security in many people makes the financial disagreements more salient than other disagreements. Uh, it went on and says, a study in 2012 looked at data for 4,574 couples as part of the U.S.-based National Survey of Families and Households. In the study, researchers Jeffrey Dew, Sonia Britt, and Sandra Houston examined data related to what couples argue about, including children, money, in-laws, and spending time together, and then looked at which of those couples were divorced 
four to five years later. According to the study, financial disagreements were the strongest disagreement types to predict divorce for both men and women. And we also went on to say, in a poll conducted by divorcemagazine.com this summer, the leading cause of divorce was found to be financial issues, followed closely by basic incompatibility. Uh, one guy says here, his name is Dan uh, Couvray, says, during the divorce, the two most contentious issues are usually finances and children, in that order. Uh, he, this is a publisher for, of a divorce magazine. I didn't even know they had these kind of things, but they had a divorce magazine. It says, if there are no children, then basic in, incompatibility, <clears throat> excuse me, then basic incompatibility and communication problems follow on the heels of money problems. And this, uh, this see, uh, he's a professional who deals with finances. Um, excuse me, where's mine? It's right there. A man here by the name of Justin Reckers, he's a, he's a professional who helps um, divorce couples try to, to figure out financial things uh, with, their, with their divorce. And uh, he says here, he says, I have long believed financial disagreements to be the most common cause of marital conflict and ultimately divorce. Uh, he says, now we have empirical evidence. That's a big word, meaning there's a lot of evidence. Um, providing or proving this is the case across all socio socioeconomic classes. Disparate goals and values around money coupled with the power and control financial prosperity repre represents makes money a common battleground in marriages. And ultimately, what it falls down to is that um, people don't know how to talk to each other about money. They don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to... Uh, to work on, on finances and things like that. And, and, uh, and sadly, it comes in between uh, husband and wives. Yeah, be careful, because money is a very powerful thing. If you want to see how powerful and dangerous money is and how it can divide families, <clears throat> see what happens when someone dies in a family. Uh, sadly, I've, I've had to, to see this firsthand uh, the potential that for money, you know, for this possibility of any kind of gain, ruins relationships between siblings. And uh, how I mean by firsthand is that uh, I've, I've had family members, my aunts and uncles, who have passed away on both sides of my family. And um, with my mom, uh, the first one was, was with my grandmother, uh, who passed away before we came over here in Ireland. And, uh, and when she passed away, uh, as soon as they were going through all of her estate, it was bringing out the worst in my aunts and my uncle. And uh, it would just seemed like, because my mom was kind of put in charge of the estate, so to speak, and it, just, it was just so sad to see how, um, just how nasty people get. And the same thing would happen with my dad. Uh, my dad has, has lost several of his siblings. He came from a big family, 12 brothers and sisters all together, and, uh, and as he was, um, you know, he's had several of his, his siblings pass away in the last five years. And, um, and because my dad is good with finances, they kind of put him in charge of the estate. And, um, and the most recently, uh, a few years ago, when, my, when, um, when two of his brothers had passed away, uh, their house was, 
um, being up for sale and things like that, and they had some property. And one of my aunts was constantly on the phone to my dad and saying, where's my money? I want my money. And, uh, and it was so sad because my dad and my aunt had such a close relationship. And um, it got to the point where my dad said, I don't even want to take her phone call anymore because all she asked about is where's my money? Where's this money? And so that became her focus and it consumed her because she was looking at the potential for gain. And, uh, and that sadly, that's uh, um, when we allow that love for money to come into our, our families, it will destroy, it will separate, it will cause division. And, uh, and sadly, it's very, very effective. It really is. And it's very grieving to me because you don't want to see that happen to your loved ones. And I'm just warning you because we're all going to probably have to endure and, and, uh, and to also go through things like this when, when, our, when our loved ones pass away. And I'm just warning you, it will bring out the worst in people. It will bring out um, he, just the attitudes, the, um, just different things in people that you really are surprised that are in there. It brings out, as I'm going to look here a little bit later, uh, it brings out the worst that's in, in a person's heart. So not only does the love of money destroy families, but it also destroys societies. Look at verse number 9. It says here in 1 Timothy 6, um, 6, 9, it says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Uh, let's talk about people who desire to be rich. People who are consumed with money, following after money. And um, it says here, there's a lot of warnings that they'll, they'll fall into destruction. Uh, Paul writes here that the love of money is the root of all evil. And all you have to do is to look around you and see our world is consumed by uh, the prospect of gain. And a lot of um, the suffering in this world is, is caused because of it. Uh, the love of money is a significant enabler um, into a person's heart, of the darkest parts of our heart. Um, you know, things that people do are because of the lust of their flesh. I mean, you know, we know that the lust of the flesh, um, uh, the things that, that are in a, a person's heart are very vile and very evil. Uh, but the love of money is a powerful motivator for those lusts. It's, it's an enabler. Uh, hold your place here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Here Solomon is warning his son Rehoboam. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 10. I mean right off the get-go. I mean as soon as the book of Proverbs is opened up, you know, he's telling he's telling uh, Rehoboam his son, you know, listen to listen to what I'm telling you, uh, no wisdom, instruction, um, you know, uh, just to, to listen to him and what he's trying to tell him. But look at verse number 10. He says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. In other words, if, if sinners, you know, they want you to get involved in something, he said, don't go with them. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood, 
Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. Look at the whole reason behind it. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. And Solomon is warning. He says, My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of every one that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. So here we're seeing Solomon is writing to his son saying, be careful, be, be careful of these people who are out uh, to hurt others because they want to get gain. Uh, we look, you know, look around us. We have wars. Uh, we have oppression. Uh, drugs are rampant all around us. I mean, the drug industry is a very profitable, very money-making industry. Uh, you look at the alcohol industry. You look at people, why we have such a high crime rate with stealing and, and people uh, desiring other, other, others' things. We, we see strife. We see fighting. Uh, you see the, the child and, and human trafficking market. Uh, you see prostitution all over this world. And many other evils are magnified because of one thing. The love of money. It's a cause, it's a root of all these different evils. That's why Paul writes to Timothy that, that the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, because this is, the, this is why people are doing these different things. Uh, look at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse number 16. It's a familiar story. Acts chapter 16 says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So in other words, this, 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 uh, this young lady was a soothsayer. Uh, she was a fortune teller. And, she, and uh, the, the spirit that she had, she was able to um, predict different things, and um, and so her masters gained a lot of money by her predictions. Now, verse number seventeen says the same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, "These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation." And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit. I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now we'll look at the response of her masters. You know, they weren't, they weren't rejoicing and saying, oh good, this, this, this girl has been healed. She's taken care of. She's now uh, in her right mind, things like that. No, instead they it says here, when, when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. So when they realized, you know what? Our money-making machine is now gone. Uh, that upset them. And so they went and they captured and they grabbed Paul and Silas. And they brought them to the magistrate saying, 
these men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Now, were they troubling the city? No. They were troubling them. They were troubling their, prosper, their prosperity, their, their enablement for money. And, uh, and so they're lying about Paul and Silas. It says here, And they teach custom which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now, I'm not going to go into the rest of the story there, um, but here we see that um, when it comes to money, the world only thinks of one thing I need to get, I need to gain. And if you step in front of my way, I'm going to destroy you. That is the world mentality. Um, you hear, you hear the, the phrase, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. And, uh, and sadly, that love for money causes people to do some things that are, um, that are not right to do. Uh, for example, alcohol is one of the leading destroyers of the home. Yet most stores have it on their shelves. Why? Because it is and makes a whole lot of money, doesn't it? The alcohol industry has a lot of power. I mean, you know, it's one of the it's it's the most destructive thing in a home that a person can bring into their home, and yet um, it's all on our shelves here. Can you imagine what would happen in Ireland if there was a government ban on the selling of alcohol all year long, not just on one day? Can you imagine what would happen in this country? <laughs> I hope so. There would be mass rioting all across this country because they want the, they, they want the alcohol. It's, it is such a powerful, controlling uh, thing that, that is in people's lives. You see, the U.S. tried to do that. They tried to ban alcohol. It's called Prohibition. And, uh, and, and sadly, it failed. Now, in America, all of our sports stadiums are owned by alcohol manufacturers. And they renamed several stadiums in the United States after alcohol manufacturers. Kind of makes you go, hmm, doesn't it? Uh, you know, you got Bush Stadium, you've got Coors Field, and you got all these money these all these professional stadiums, and they're all sponsored and all owned by the alcohol industry. Uh, here, it's illegal to sell alcohol on Good Friday. Um, and uh, <laughs> we um, went to, uh, I think we had to go to the, the shop on uh, Good Friday this year. And I'm sitting there in line here at Lidl's. And, uh, you know, they've, and I, I do commend them that they, they, I mean, they do a phenomenal job, like barring off the whole alcohol s- section so people can't actually buy anything. But we were in there just getting some, uh, just, get some just, just some provisions and things like that. And, uh, and I'm sitting there here in line, and, and there's a couple ladies in front of me, and they're like, I just don't understand why they have to have a ban on alcohol on today. You know, and, and they, were, they were so upset, they couldn't buy alcohol one day. And, uh, and, I, and I also kind of looked, and um, I, was, I think I was there like Thursday or Friday, and I saw people stocking up for the weekend. Um, they were making sure that they had enough because they knew that they weren't going to be able to buy it on Friday, so we're going to buy it beforehand, that way we have it. And it's just so sad that how much 
control that alcohol has on a person's life here. And the reason why the government will not get rid of it, even though it is a destroyer of homes, it, uh, it destroys people's health, it has caused a lot of issues, a lot of evils in this country, they won't get rid of it because they know it is one of their biggest economic industries in this country. Um, I think it was a few years ago, we looked at a, um, back, back in 2007, 2006, something like that, and, um, and they had done a, a study, and um, the sale of alcohol was a third of the economic industry in Ireland. Um, in other words, it's, it, one of the things that they said was that enough alcohol was sold in one year that everybody in, throughout the whole entire country could have had three pints. That's a lot of alcohol. That is a, a lot of alcohol that was sold because it's a money-making machine. Money will cause, to, will cause you to do things that you never thought you'd do. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Sometimes we, we think in our own hearts, you know, we say, you know what, I would, I would never do that. You'd be surprised and if someone offered you enough money what you would do. You'd be very surprised. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 11. It says here, now when they were going, this is after the resurrection of Christ, it says, now when they were going, behold, some of the watch... These are the people that were standing guard over the tomb. It says, Some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave, a large, they, gave, uh, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. Instead of saying, you know what, no, we have our integrity, I'm not, we're not going to lie, we're not going to you know, say this is, this is what happened, look what they did instead. So they took the money, and they did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Uh, money will buy sometimes your silence, or telling another tale. Look at Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> Verse number 10. Mark 14, verse number 10. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto him. So, so Judas was already intent to betray him. Uh, but here's what look at what happened when the chief priests found out. It says, and when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And uh, now we do know that after he is after Jesus is betrayed, Judas tries to go back and give the money back, but they refuse to take it. And um, but it was a motivator to betray Christ. He was already wanting to. But now he had a reason to, because he was being paid to do it. Look at Acts chapter 24. Just want to show a couple examples of how 
The love of money can make people do some things that they may not really desire to do in the first place, but because of the money, they seek to. Acts chapter 24, verse number 26. Uh, verse number 25 says here, you know, Paul is tried before Felix and, uh, and he gives a, a discourse. He, he preaches basically to Felix and verse number 25 says, and as he reasoned with a righteousness, this is talk about Paul, and as Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Well, look at the reason why he wanted to keep Paul. Verse 26 says, He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the, the oftener, he sent for him often, and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. See, the reason why he was keeping Paul bound there is he was wanting some people to pay him to, to, as a um, a bond, uh, not, not a bond. Is it a bond? Not, not necessarily a bribe, but like um, like when a person is, is held captive, you can pay a bond and or bail. There we go, bail. And uh, and so he was kind of waiting for them to 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 pay a bail, so to speak, for Paul to be released. And uh, and nobody was coming forth to pay this bail, and so Felix just kept them there. And uh, and but the, I think the Lord used that time. For Paul to be able to, to preach to him, to, to speak to him. Because the Bible says that he sent unto him oftener and commune with him. And you know Paul, he, there's no way he probably had any, any kind of conversation if he didn't get the gospel in somewhere to, to Felix. And uh, so who knows, maybe, maybe Felix is a, had at one day believed, we don't know. Um, but the whole reason why he kept him bound was so that he could get money. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse number 1. I mean, I could probably be here all night long and give you illustration after illustration of scriptures how money motivated people to do some wrong things. Acts chapter 5, verse number 1 says here, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and, bought, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, see, the, some other people had done the same, where they had sold land, and they brought the money and, and gave it to the church. And, uh, but now here, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they also sold some land, but rather than actually uh, give what they, were, um, what they were telling everybody they got for it, um, they actually got more than that, and they kept back part of it that, for themselves, and they were being very—they were lying—is what they were doing, uh, and they because they wanted people to think that they were these godly uh, individuals because they were giving so much money to to the church. And uh, but look at here in verse number three, it says, "But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own?" 
And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all of them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about a space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me, whether ye sold the land for so much? And she said, Yeah, for so much. So here now she is confirming both of them lying. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. Probably wonder, why would God, in a sense, kill both these, these two people because of, of their dishonesty? And uh, sometimes God allows things to happen as an illustration to us, as a one-time warning saying, this is how... Um, I'm, this is how significant I'm taking this. Don't make the same mistake. And uh, now have other people probably lied and things like that to God and things like that and, and are still alive? Yes. But he was showing here the significance of, uh, especially here in the beginning of the church age, that um, the, the disaster of lying, I guess you could say, or just, just being dishonest. And, um, and so these, these are just different things that we looked at where money played a big part. In their decisions, I mean, you could look at uh, Samson and Delilah. Um, Delilah sought to betray Samson because of the money that was promised her, and uh, and so she was kept on. You know, she kept on trying to find a way. Did she honestly love Samson? Who knows? I don't know. Um, I don't think so. I think she was just in it just uh, just to be in the relationship, so to speak. Because as soon as this money came around, she said, "All right, this is a quick buck." And, uh, and so she found, tried to find a way to capture Samson. And, um, and so and, and you, just kind of, you look at how Delilah, in a sense, how evil she became. And it just shows us that what our heart is capable of when we ourselves are also tempted with maybe a large sum of money, you know? Uh, someone came to you and said, you know, if you, they offered you a bunch of money here, you know, uh, here's a hundred grand, you know, um, what will you do? And uh, different things like that. Um, sometimes it's a test of our integrity. Uh, lastly tonight, the love of money can be kept in check. Turn back to First Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And look at verse 6. Verse number 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we carry nothing out. And look at verse number 11. 
But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, or unto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Um, so as we look here, and, and uh, it's easy for people to get consumed by the love of money. And here, Paul is warning Timothy and saying, Timothy, this is how you can avoid uh, getting caught up with this love of money that other people have, have turned away and began to follow. Uh, the first thing is, um, is being content with what you have. Uh, being content with what God has given you. Um, you know, people are always looking at, at, at getting the, the best of the best, you know, upgrading to the best, things like that. Um, trying to keep, you know, in the, in the States they have a, a, a phrase, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, your neighbor buys a new car, so you have to buy a new car. And, you know, your, your neighbor gets, you know, something, gets a new boat, so you have to get a new boat. You know, and it's, and it's a mentality that, that uh, a lot of people have. You know, you see someone, they, you know, maybe someone at school and they get a new iPhone, you know, for, for Christmas or for their birthday. And so you think, I need a new iPhone. You know, and uh, and so that's that's um, that is something that happens in our life. You know, we we because we always that, that that by the way that is covetousness um, in its in its exact form when we see something that somebody else has and say, you know what, I want that, I want that, and um, and here to to break that desire of covetousness, he says, be content with what you have. To godliness with contentment, he said, that is the greatest gain. doesn't matter how much money that you have in the bank. doesn't matter how much money that you have at your house right now in your wallet. It uh, says, but you want you know what um, great gain is? is first of all, being a godly person and being content with what you have. Because verse 7 says, for we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we can carry nothing out. When we pass away, there's no, you know, there's no storage unit that we're going to be able to take up into heaven with us of all of our material possessions down here. When we die, it's gone. You know, whatever we have, have you know, built up and we've wanted and we've tried to, to secure and hold on to and, and, uh, and maybe invest in, when we die, that's it. it. It's not going to be passed. It's not going with us to heaven. Someone else is going to take it. And someone else is going to have it. And... Um, Again, it's, you know, I just, it just reminds me of, you know, whenever I think about that, uh, I think of my neighbor that had passed away this, uh, this last year, and, um, and his house is being completely redone. I mean, it is from the ground up. I mean, it has been completely redone. How long has that guy lived in that house? I have no idea. But now that he is gone, it was sold to somebody else. He couldn't take his house with him. And that person has completely redone the whole thing. And, um, and that's the same thing for the things that you and I, we, we have a lot of things that we love and we hold on to. And you know what? At the end of the day, it makes no difference whatsoever to the things of eternal, in eternal life. We, won't, we can't take it. See, in the beginning of this chapter, Paul was warning Timothy about preachers who were teaching wrong doctrine. And that material possessions and gain meant that a person was more godly than another. Sadly, this is still being taught today. 
You look here in verse number 5. Actually, verse number, um, verse number 3. It says here, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. He says here, from such withdraw thyself. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, sadly, there's a lot of people out there that are preaching that the more that you accumulate, the more that you have, means you are right with God. It means you are... Uh, you are godly, that God is favoring you. And uh, we looked at this morning, no, when you give to God and, you're, and, and you give with the right heart, God will give you the things that, um, that you need. Not necessarily, He's not going to make you a millionaire, but He'll take care of your needs. He'll take care of, make sure that you, uh, that you have food to eat, that you have raiment, um, you have these, these necessities of life. God will make sure that you're taken care of. But here... Uh, people are thinking, you know what? I need to get, 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 because then that makes that that shows that I am right with God. God doesn't work that way. He says, "Great gain is being godly and being content with what He has already given you." Look at verse number ten. Or sorry, verse number eleven. He says, "But thou, O man of God, flee these things." In other words, flee uh, the the love of money that people have coveted after, um, that they pierce themselves through many sorrows. He's saying, flee these, these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast pro- professed a good profession before many witnesses. So rather than try to, to live your life's focus and trying to get money and try to to become as rich as you can uh he says no don't focus on the covetousness and and the love of money focus on righteousness make sure that your life is right with god make sure that that you are holy uh make sure that uh that you are living a godly life make sure that you're living a life of faith a life of love a life of patience a life of meekness uh he says fight the good fight of faith um, stand for God. Stand for things that are right. He said these are things, these are good pursuits, not just a pastor should have, but that every Christian should have. A person should strive to be as godly as they could be, to have a, a right walk with God, to, to make sure that, that uh, as, as he was saying to Timothy, he's saying that thou hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. He's saying you've got a good testimony. Keep that testimony. Keep doing the right things. Um, that is how we keep ourselves in check and we know that we're not following after the love of money, uh, which is the root of evil. We follow after these things that are mentioned in verse 11 and 12. God will keep us uh, sure. He will it'll help us get through these times because there's going to be some pulls. There's going to be some pulls when, you know, when, we, when we're not content with what we have. And can I be honest with you, that's a, that's a struggle that we, all, that we all have. Being content with the things that, that God has already given us. And, uh, and honestly, when you look at that, um, 
being thankful for the things that you have helps you to be content. Because it's when we start being grateful and we have that ingratitude in our heart, that's when we start thinking, you know what, I don't really want this. I want something better. I want something else. And, uh, and that's why people, you know, they, they um, find other girlfriends, they find other, you know, other people other in their life because they're not thankful for what God has already given them. And, uh, and so it's, it really is a good portion of Scripture to, to really dwell on, to really look at. And, uh, and whenever you start thinking, you know what, I wish, I wish, I wish, go back and say, you know what, God, as much as it would be nice to have that new car, I'm thankful for the one that you gave me. I'm thankful for what you've already given me. You'd be surprised at how much it would give you joy when you, when you uh, just rejoice in the things that God has given you. And uh, so tonight, I just, uh, I really just wanted to share my heart uh, with some things here uh, because we live in an age where it seems like money is everything. And um, again, you know, it is a necessary evil, so to speak, to have to, to have money, to work. Um, and I've seen a lot of people who have fallen away because of their love for money. It is grieving. And um, I, I've seen people who were on their way to be missionaries. And because they wanted money more than following after righteousness and being content with what they had, they quit the mission field, so to speak, and they desired to to come to to work as uh, and to have as much as they have, and they have left the faith, and they have, as the Bible said, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Um, Paul is warning Timothy. Did Paul trust Timothy? Absolutely, but also Timothy was a young preacher, and Paul wasn't going to be on the scene forever, and um, and so Paul was just wanting to give him godly counsel. Because when Paul was off the scene, Timothy was going to be by himself. And he wasn't going to be able to, to write back to Timothy and say, you know, this is what you need to do. He was giving him advice, not just as a, as a pastor, but as a Christian. We need to take this and we need to apply it to our own lives. Uh, because as, if we take this portion of Scripture and if we really apply it, I think it'll, it'll save a lot of sorrow in our life, a lot of heartache, um, especially if we just be content with what we have. Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer and we'll be done.